Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, and we are going to be looking at verses 1 to 4. Isaiah 58, starting at verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Please be seated. Let's just take a minute to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the worship we've had and the prayer that we've had. God, I thank you for everyone who has taken part in the service to this point, um, both up here and in the pews as well, Lord. Um, God, I just pray that as we spend some time looking into your word a little bit, my only prayer, Lord, is that you would speak to everyone here, whether that's through the things that I say or whether that's despite the things that I say. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know how many of you know this. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, Some of you know that. Uh, When they were filming that movie, The Lord of the Rings, uh, there was one guy who had, he was a voice actor, mostly. He, he did the voice for the character called Gollum. His voice was very raspy and, and rough and, and kind of whiny at the same time. It was a very good, difficult voice to do. And that guy, his name was Andy Serkis, the actor, he had to drink a special concoction called Gollum juice so that his throat wouldn't give out on him. And so he had uh, warm water with honey and lemon and ginger and all these things mixed in, and he would drink it constantly, just over and over and over, because otherwise his throat would have just died. I feel like this morning I could use some of that Gollum juice my throat this whole week has been up and down and in and out, and it's not doing great this morning, but uh, maybe I shouldn't have been singing the songs this morning, but it was too hard not to, so I did anyway. Um, but it is good to be up here again and to see all of you here. Some of you I haven't seen since Friday night, so that's pretty good, and some of you I haven't seen in a few months, and that's also good. Um, those of you who were here last time I preached back a few months ago, may remember what I preached about. Uh, That's pretty good if you do, because I barely do. Um, But it's going to be a little bit different this time for a couple of reasons. Last time, I kind of focused on one scripture passage and uh, dug into it a little bit. This time, it's more of a topical study, so we're going to talk about prayer, as you can see. Um, We're going to discuss some things about prayer. Um, But that means there's a couple changes here. One is I'm going to be using the screen, hopefully properly. Hopefully, I don't mess up things too much too often. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a lot from verse to verse and passage to passage and book to book in the Bible. And so if your fingers are fast and you uh, know your Bible well, maybe you can follow along that way. But the verses, most of them will be up here as well. And so you can follow along there. That might be just as good for most of you. Um, The other thing is, you may have noticed there's an insert in your bulletin. It's on white paper, or at least mine was. Uh, It says, Does God Answer Prayer? That's our title. Um, And if you want to, you don't have to do this, of course, but I've kind of written most of the verses down there that we're going to look at. There's some space there for you to jot a couple notes 
um, for each of those things. So if you have some thoughts on those verses, just write it down. If you don't have any thoughts on those verses, you can write down my thoughts if you want to, uh, or, or not, but that's fine. So things will be a little bit different. But I will say, before I really get started, uh, Jason, thank you for mentioning that we were going to talk about prayer this morning because I was sitting there in the pew thinking, what am I going to preach on? What should I talk about? Ah, we're going to have a sermon on prayer. So uh, now, now I know what I'm talking about. That's good. We are going to talk about two main questions today. The first is this one right here. Does God answer prayer? And the second, hopefully, yes. Why doesn't it work for me? If God answers prayer, why is he not answering my prayers? So there's a few things we're going to look at there. Um, but before we kind of get into that, I want to talk a little bit about some great standoffs of history. And by history, of course, I mean film history, because what other history is there? Often in movies, there's some sort of climactic scene in which uh, people come together. Sometimes it's at the start, sometimes it's at the end, doesn't really matter. And there's some kind of uh, tension in the room and everybody's kind of looking at each other. What are we going to do? Sometimes they fight, sometimes they talk. Um, and usually in these cases, it's kind of the good guy versus the bad guy. Uh, sometimes, however, it's actually the good guy versus the bad guy versus the ugly guy. I don't know how many of you recognize this, but that's what movie that's from. A famous standoff from a few years ago before some of you were born. Um, lots of the times these standoffs in movies have some sort of um, uh, big significance plot-wise. And that's the case in something like this one. You may remember this. Uh, five or 10 or 15 Pirates of the Caribbean movies ago, uh, there was actually a first one. Um, and this is from that where Will Turner and Jack Sparrow, or Captain Jack Sparrow, uh, faced off in the blacksmith shop. They had a duel, they had some banter, they talked about things. And some of you who are maybe more sci-fi oriented may recognize this one. Uh, lyrics giving me the thumbs up, so that's good. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, good guy against the bad guy. And some good visual effects here as well with lightsabers, because everybody likes those. Sometimes though, those standoffs are not so much about the visual part of things, but maybe more about the dialogue. So as soon as you see this next guy, probably many of you know exactly the line, <laughs> know exactly the line that I'm thinking of. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he says that about 18 times in a row. But the dialogue is sometimes just as important. And there's one more I'm going to show you, my favorite, of course. This is the best one out of any of these. And again, dialogue here and visuals, both very important. This is from Lord of the Rings, Gandalf and the Balrog, and Gandalf stands on the bridge and he says, you shall not pass, and some other things that you guys don't need to know. This actually reminds me, I could not resist, this reminds me of, I think, my favorite internet meme of all time. Uh, it's here, I think, there it is, the guy with the Gandalf license plate. <laughs> Needless to say, he didn't let me pass. So. I will leave that up there for a few minutes so some of you can continue to get it, but that's okay. Um, if we're going to talk about great standoffs of history, you can't really even have that discussion without talking about one of the biggest ones in biblical history. And that's one we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Zig talked about, Elijah. He had some great standoffs and he had some big confrontations with people, um, with King Ahab, with Queen Jezebel, who was probably more evil and more powerful than Ahab was. Uh, also with Obadiah, maybe you don't hear about that one as much, but he was at one time kind of second in command under Ahab, or maybe third in command under Ahab and Jezebel. But um, the most famous one Elijah had was against the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. And we talked about that over the last few weeks. Pastor Ziggas has discussed that story. 
And we talked about a lot of things about it. Elijah, in that circumstance, showed a lot of guts. He showed a lot of courage to face off against all those people. He showed a lot of faith. And we had an extraordinary example of answered prayer. And actually, that wasn't the only one. Pastor Zig has talked about it, again, the last four weeks. Examples of Elijah's big prayers being answered throughout the book of Kings. So he prayed for a drought, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Have any of you guys done that? I, I, I doubt it. I mean, it's a long time. He prayed after that drought, he prayed for rain, and it rained. He prayed that the widow's son, who he was staying with, would be raised back to life after he died. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but as far as we know, in recorded scripture, this was the first time ever that it happened. It wasn't that Elijah was standing there saying, oh yeah, okay, so God can raise people from the dead, he's done it before, he'll do it again, I'll just pray for that. No, this had never happened before that we know of. That was a big prayer that Elijah prayed. And then, of course, on Mount Carmel, when he calls for God to send down fire to show everyone who was gathered that he was God. So here's a question for you. If you were in Elijah's position on Mount Carmel, facing off against 400 prophets of Baal, or 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, uh, the king's there, all of the Israelite nation is gathered there to see what's going to happen, how would you have done in his place? How would I have done in his place? I mean, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have been in his place in the first place. If I would have shown up there and seen what was going on, I probably would have just snuck out the back way. And, uh, and made my way to a cave somewhere, which is what he did afterwards. But what kind of prayer do you pray in that situation? How do you even have the courage to stand there and do what Elijah did? One thing I want to point out, Pastor Zig mentioned this verse a few times over the last few weeks, James 5:17. Elijah was a man just like us. We have to be a little bit careful with that verse, I think, because it's not actually saying Elijah was a man just like us. It's more saying, Elijah was a man, comma, just like us, which actually makes a difference. It's not saying we're exactly the same as Elijah was, he was exactly the same as that. That's not what the verse says. It says that he was a person, he was a human. We're people, we're humans. And, and so that respect, that's what the verse is saying, he was a man like us. He had a nature like we did, he had passions like we did. Um, he was just human. He wasn't some sort of superhuman, supernatural being. He was just a person. And yet God worked through his prayers to great effect. So the question for us is, why aren't our prayers answered like that? Because often they aren't. And does God really even answer prayers like that anymore? I don't know if people even pray big prayers like that anymore. Some people do. But when they're not answered, why is that? How does that make sense? So we're going to hopefully find out some answers to some of those questions today. So, first let's look at the easy answer to this question. Does God answer prayer? Well, Sunday School Answer says yes, he does. I don't know how many of you guys were around for this, and maybe it was more of a localized thing, but there was a time a few years ago where um, people would wear bracelets or caps or t-shirts or necklaces that said Gap on them. Uh, and I'm not talking about the store because that, that fad may still be going, I'm not sure. But um, G-A-P, God Answers Prayer. And so there was a time when kind of youth, like maybe university or high school age kids, would wear these things to say, oh yeah, God answers prayer. Of course, nobody knew what it meant. It just said gap, so they thought they just got it from the gap. It wasn't that helpful. But that was a fad for a while. Maybe some of you have heard, this is what I learned when I was growing up in church and in youth group, that God always answers prayer. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is later. Fine. Okay, so, so far, 
our answer is yes, God answers prayer. And probably most of you can think of an example from your own life where that's true. If you've prayed for things, you probably sometimes have received what you've prayed for, I, I hope. I have an example of that that wasn't actually even really my prayer. Uh, when I was in grade nine, I started kind of veering away from what I should have been doing, started hanging out with different people than I should have been hanging out with. Um, my speech started kind of veering off from what it should have been. And that kind of continued throughout grade nine, throughout grade 10, and uh, it lasted those two years. And I didn't know this at the time, but I found out later that my sister had noticed this. We were in the same grade at school, and she had a bunch of Christian friends. I didn't. I didn't hang out with them. But she noticed this, and she and my mom prayed for me all through that time, those two years. I wasn't praying for myself. I didn't want to pray for myself. I didn't really feel like I was doing anything. I was fine with where I was. Turns out I wasn't actually fine where I was. But God used my sister and my mom to pray for me through those two years, and he brought me back again at the start of grade 11 through another guy that started coming to our school, and we became good friends. He, he, God worked through him to bring, him, bring me back into the Christian circles I should be in. And so that was one example from my life of answered prayer. So let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. Usually a good thing to look into. So Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. This seems pretty straightforward. All you have to do is call and he's going to answer. All right, fine. Let's check out another one. Isaiah 65, 24, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. This is even better than the last one. Right? Before we even finish our request, God's heard it. And before they call, I will answer. Oh, that's pretty good. Again, better than just answering. He's answering before we even finish asking for what we're asking for. The next one most of you have probably heard before. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Again, it seems very straightforward. If you ask or seek or knock, it's going to work out. You're going to get what you're asking for or what you're looking for. Seems pretty obvious. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Lots of people like this verse. If you believe that you're going to receive it, then you'll receive it. And one more to look at. John 15, 16. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Anything we ask for in his name. Now, I like that Jason talked about this already. At the end of every single prayer we pray, what do we say? In Jesus' name, right? That's asking in his name, right? So anything we ask for, he will give you. All right. So some of you are sitting there thinking, Josh, why are you even talking about this? Because it's pretty obvious. God answers prayer, yes. Okay, let's move on. Let's have communion and get out of here. Uh, and some of you are sitting there thinking, actually, you're missing some things here. And so it's not quite as easy as these five verses make it seem. So let's move on to what I call the difficult answer. And actually, before we look at these verses, okay, good, it's not up there yet. Um, those ones made it seem pretty obvious. But I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Uh, this is something we do all the time. Building a belief around a handful of solitary, isolated verses scattered through the Bible is probably not the best idea. I'm going to say that again because we do this all the time. 
me included. If you just pick and choose five verses throughout the Bible and say, all right, this is what my belief system is based on, uh, that's probably not going to work out for you. It's also probably not a great idea to build a belief system around um, a fad or initials on a bracelet or um, what you happen to wear around your neck or even things like your life experience. Maybe that's not enough. I don't know about any of you, but I also have examples in my life of unanswered prayer. Probably if you've been a believer for any length of time, this is the same for you. I imagine there are times you've prayed for something and it has not happened. You have not gotten what you've asked for. My example of that one hits pretty close to home for me. Um, When I was in Thunder Bay, I went to a a great church there. We had a great pastor. He was one of my favorite people. Uh, The pastor's wife, also one of my favorite people. She was very kind and generous, always positive, always cheerful, always interested in everybody that she met. I also had some um, maybe more personal connections to that family. Some of the youth may be aware of some of that situation. But apart from that, she was a great, great pastor's wife, a great person, a great mom. And while I was in university, she was diagnosed with cancer. And I thought, okay, well, everybody's going to pray for her, right? So, so let's do that. And we did. So the pastor was praying for her, the church was praying for her, I was praying for her, the youth group was praying for her. And the weeks and months went by, and she got worse and worse. And she succumbed to the cancer, and she died. So how does that make sense? From all those verses we just read, why would God not answer those prayers? Did we not pray hard enough? Did we not believe enough that she was going to be healed? Maybe we said the wrong words? Like, what's, what was the problem? So let's look at a handful of other verses and see some different information than we got in the first five verses. The first is from 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I think when most of us hear this verse or read this verse, we think, all right, so what God's saying is if we pray, he's going to hear and forgive and heal. That's not what the verse says. This is what we call in mathematical terms a conditional statement. There's an if and there's a then. And the then, the second half, doesn't apply unless the first half already happens. There's a bunch of things here in that if. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal, hear and heal and forgive. It's a conditional thing. Matthew 6.15, along a similar note. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a verse that's not preached very often. Speaking of conditional verses. Now, this is not directly talking about prayer, right? But we are told to pray for forgiveness. And this verse clearly says, if you don't forgive other people, your Father is not going to forgive you. Again, there's something that we have to do there. There's some sort of condition. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. I don't know how many of you ever cherish sin in your heart. Probably most of you. I certainly do. And that could take on any form. But here the psalmist is saying, if I had sin in my heart and I was holding on to it, God wouldn't have listened to me. 
Micah 3, verse 4. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. Here's God's people crying out, but no, he's not going to answer. Why not? Because of the evil that they have done. And 1 Timothy 2.8, Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. The implication here is there's something about anger and disputing. If you're <clears throat> getting in arguments or holding grudges against people, something about that is going to get in the way of the prayer. That's what this verse is implying. So all these verses make it seem like somehow there's conditions on our prayer. There's something conditional here. We have to do something or there's some things we, we can or can't do in order for God to hear us. Like how does that exactly work? And so let's take a look at what I'm calling the confrontation between the easy answer and the difficult answer. The first half, those first five verses made it pretty obvious. Yeah, God answers prayer all the time. That's what it said. But the second half makes things more difficult and more confusing. So which verses are we supposed to believe here? The first five, the second five, so does God answer prayer? Does he not answer prayer? How can we reconcile those easy verses that we like to read? Call on me and I will answer you. It's a nice verse. How do we reconcile that with the hard verses? If we cherish sin in our hearts, he's not going to hear us. How do we put those together? So let's look at some verses that are a little bit less scattered um, and with a little bit more context and we're going to dig into them a little bit more. There's certainly not time to go through all that the Bible has to say on this topic, um, but maybe some of you will get interested enough to look into it yourself. So, uh, some of the youth are going to get tired of James in a hurry, I think, but if you're not already, we're going to start by looking at James 1, verses 5 to 8. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So this tells us a few things. Mostly, I think probably the most obvious thing is that you have to believe and not doubt. Right? That's what it says there. Now, you have to be a little bit careful here, and I'm going to address this a little bit later too. Um, the context of this passage, as you can see, is talking about asking God for wisdom. Wisdom is something that God wants us to have. Right? This is not saying if you uh, ask God for more money and a bigger house and a yacht and a new car and you believe and don't doubt, then he's going to give it to you. I don't think that's what the implication is here. And again, we'll get back to that later. But the belief that he'll give you what he has promised to give you is important. The next one, Isaiah 58, 1 to 4. This is what we just read as our scripture reading. So I'm not going to read the whole thing again. <clears throat> but here we have a case of God's people complaining. We fasted. You're not watching. We humbled ourselves. Why are you not paying attention? Why did you not see it? Why are you not answering our prayers? But God gives some good reasons here. What are they doing? They're quarreling, there's strife, they're exploiting their workers, they're striking each other with fists. And God says, why would I listen to you if that's the way you're behaving? Our actions and our lifestyle are important as well. And this passage actually goes on to say, God goes on to say that if the people looked after the needy instead, 
If they promoted justice and kindness instead, then he would answer them. It seems pretty clear that our behavior and our actions have something to do with whether God is going to answer the prayers that people are offering to him. Back to the book of James, chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? (coughs) You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, there's a lot in there, and this ties quite a bit into the previous passage. I mean, for one thing, they don't have anything because they're not even asking God for it in the first place. But if they do ask, James says, you're not receiving because they're asking with wrong motives. Not only is their behavior inappropriate, killing and quarreling and fighting, but their motives for asking for things are wrong. They're trying to ask God for things that they can spend on themselves for their own pleasures. That doesn't really work. What kind of message is that sending to God? If you're... you're, asking him for things for yourself and you're trying to be all sincere about it and you believe that he's going to give that to you, what is that telling him? Where are your priorities? A few verses after this, James says, submit to God, draw near to him. That's how you're going to line up your motivations and your motives with what he wants. And one more from the book of James still. Chapter 5, this is one that Zig referenced. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So again, Elijah's example. But what kind of a man does it say Elijah was? A righteous man. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It doesn't say anything about the prayer of somebody mired in sin, about the prayer of somebody who's selfishly asking for things. Why would those prayers be effective? Why would they be powerful? And our last one in this section, John 15, 7. <coughs> it says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, I think this is one that we like to look at the last half of the verse. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Nice and easy. But again, there's a condition there. If you remain in Christ, and his words remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So maybe for some of you, those last five passages gave a little bit of clarification in terms of Does God answer prayer? Why aren't my prayers being answered? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe for some of you that's made it more confusing. We're just getting all this information. He answers prayer. He sometimes answers prayer. We don't really know what's going on here. So maybe you're asking questions eventually. Maybe you're asking questions more like this. Can we guarantee, or sorry, how can I guarantee that my prayers will be answered? What do I have to do? Maybe you're asking yourself, am I doing something wrong in my prayer life? I mean, the answer is probably yes. If it's not working, probably something's wrong. We don't know what that is yet. Maybe you're asking, what does the Bible recommend in order to have a more effective prayer life? That's probably a good question to ask. 
And so that's what we're going to look into a little bit. Now, I didn't put these next ones up here, so I'll just read them quickly, I think. If you look through the Bible looking for a common theme or advice on how to pray better or what you're supposed to do when you pray, you're going to get a lot of answers. Um, and people have done this. You can probably Google it and find all sorts of lists. But I found a common theme pretty quickly. <coughs> Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says this. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Some versions say, don't lose heart. Keep praying. That's what it says. That's why Jesus was telling his disciples this parable. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Keep on praying. Every situation. Uh, there is, I will mention, with thanksgiving. That's an important part there. It's not what I'm focusing on, but you should incorporate that into your prayers. But this says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, one of the easiest verses to memorize in the Bible. What does it say? Pray continually. That's it. That's all it says. <clears throat> Don't stop praying. Don't lose heart. Keep on going in every situation. Think about this. How many prophets and saints and people of God in the Old Testament prayed for the coming Messiah? They wanted the Messiah to come. They were praying for it. How many of the Hebrews, when they were slaves, prayed for deliverance from Egypt? Probably a lot of them. How many Israelites prayed for deliverance from Assyria or Babylon or Midian or the Philistines or any of those other nations that were oppressing them? Probably a lot of them. How many Jews prayed for deliverance from the Romans? Probably a lot of them. And how many of those people saw answers to those prayers within a couple of weeks? Or a year? Or five years? Or in their lifetimes? Probably very, very few. This is something that I'm guilty of all the time. Somebody will say, oh, Josh, can you pray for me in this situation? Or, Josh, I've got this friend, can you pray for him? <coughs> yeah, sure, I'll pray for him. So I pray for him a couple times, don't hear anything back. Or I'm praying for something in my own life and nothing seems to change. All right, well, let's move that one aside. Let's bring on a new prayer request and try that one instead. That's not what the Bible teaches. Pray continually. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Never give up. So let's look at some keys to, hopefully, make your prayer life more effective. And I probably should have had here keys to more effective prayer rather than effective, but anyway, that's fine. Uh, the first one is what we just talked about, perseverance. Pray continually, pray without ceasing in every situation. Don't give up, don't lose heart. The second one is patience. Those are tied together. Um, many of us know the story of Abraham. God had promised him a son and many, many descendants. So Abraham was like, great, this is going to be awesome. Um, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And years and years and years went by and it still didn't happen. Hebrews 6 kind of sums up the story <laughs> in an interesting way. This is what it says. When God made his promise to Abraham, he said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
Did Abraham wait patiently that whole time? No. After a long time, Abraham's like, okay, well, maybe I have to change up how I'm thinking of this. I'm going to take it into my own hands. That whole Hagar and Ishmael thing didn't really work out great for Abraham's descendants. But eventually, after kind of a realignment of Abraham's life, God kind of reminded him, oh no, okay, so just to be clear, I'm going to give you a different son. He's actually going to be yours and your wife's. And that's where all your descendants are going to come from. Oh, okay, okay. So after a while, then finally God fulfilled his promise. But it took a long time. Abraham lived to be older than any of us will. And it was, well, probably. It was a long, long time before that promise was first made until it was fulfilled. But Abraham, according to the book of Hebrews, was patient. And I assume he was most of the time, at least. The next one, we've talked about this a little bit, a clean heart, both in relation to God, because that was mentioned in some of those verses, right? If I cherish sin in my heart, then the Lord wouldn't have listened. But also in relationship to other people, without grudges, without argument, right? That's what that verse from somewhere said, 1 Timothy, right? So there are things that can get in the way with other people, things that can get in the way of our prayers to God. Number four, maybe a little bit controversial for some people, depending on how you word things. You have to believe in God's ability. And there are a lot of ways you can kind of twist that a little bit, I think. Um, believe that he is who he says he is. That's very important. Believe that he is a good God that he will give you what he's promised to give you. If you believe that God is who he says he is, that means a lot of things. That means that you should be accepting that he knows what's best for you. That's what he says, that he knows what's best for us. And if you believe that, then you should be very comfortable in prayer. Because if he knows what's best for you, and you're praying for that thing, then that's great. If he knows what's best for you and you're praying for something totally different, he won't give you that thing, which is also great because he's going to make it work out for the best for you. It also means that it shouldn't matter to you what God's answer is going to be. If you're praying for something and you're content in knowing that he does know what's best for you and will give you what's best for you, there's no reason to be anxious about what the answer to that prayer is going to be. Because regardless of what the answer is, it's going to be for the best. So there's a lot that can be said for that uh, section. But number five, action. We've talked about this again. Sometimes the things that we do impact our prayer life. One commentator I read said, we have to add sweat and work to our prayers which is a good way of saying it, I think. There's things that we can do. If you're praying for the salvation of your brother who um, doesn't know anything about God, but you've never talked about God, you've never talked about Christianity, you've never talked about Jesus with this guy, what kind of message is that sending to God? Where are your priorities? Again, do you care about this guy or not? Somebody else said this, we cannot go about all day long giving in to our lust and evil desires then run into the secret closet at night to pray for a miracle of deliverance. 
If you're praying for freedom from some kind of sin, whether it's, as this kind of implies, some sort of addiction or, or whatever it is, and you take no steps towards getting rid of that thing in your life, but you just pray for it at night and then you wake up in the morning and go back into your old habits and giving into your evil desires. Again, what is that showing God? Do you actually care about this thing? There's lots of things that we can do to kind of help make ourselves or make our prayer life more effective. So these five are some of them. Perseverance, patience, a clean heart, belief in God that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do, and action. Um, Back to Elijah for a second. The verse in James actually says, literally, Elijah prayed in prayer that it would not rain, which is kind of the... uh, the way of saying he prayed very earnestly and he kept praying for it. So all these things here, we have proof that Elijah did. He persevered in prayer and he was patient in prayer. You know, when the widow's son was raised to life, Elijah just didn't pray for him and he got raised to life. It says Elijah prayed three times for him and finally God raised him. When the drought was over, we just had this miracle on Mount Carmel and Elijah prays for rain. It didn't just happen. He didn't say, okay, Ahab, it's going to rain, and it started raining. It's not how it worked. Elijah went up on the mountain, sent his servant out seven times. Is there a cloud yet? 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 Kind of gets annoying to even say it seven times. But imagine sitting there praying earnestly and checking seven times. Is it happening yet? Is my prayer being answered yet? Nope, not yet. No, 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 not yet. Oh, something's happening. Okay, very, very interesting. So he persevered. He was patient. He believed that God was going to do something, and he acted on that belief. When he prayed for the drought the first time, he didn't say, all right, Ahab, uh, there's a drought that's been going on for a year. I thought I'd wait to make sure it was going to happen before I mention this to you, but I was praying for this a while ago. Now it's happened. Uh, so we're in the middle of the drought now, in case you didn't notice. No, he said, Ahab, there's going to be a drought. And he prayed for it, and it started happening. That's belief right there. He prepped the altar on Mount Carmel, right? He cut the, the bowl, and he arranged the stones, and he got the water poured on. He had everything set up. He was ready to go. Elijah believed and he acted on that belief. But there's one more factor that we haven't talked about here. And that's probably the most important one. Elijah was in touch with God and he knew what God wanted to do. The most important verse here is coming up very soon. Probably. Maybe not, but that's okay. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's all right. I, I can just read it for you. It's not that difficult. First John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. It says, God will hear what we ask and we're going to get what we're asking for if it's according to his will. I don't know about you guys. Usually I don't know what God's will is in in specific situations. In a general sense, sure, we know God's will. It's to glorify himself. He's going to advance his kingdom. He's going to save people. But on an individual basis, 
We don't usually know what his will is, situation by situation. So all those things, perseverance, which are conveniently still here, perseverance, patience, um, wherever they are, a clean heart, belief, and action, all those things are important and they're places to get started, but none of them replace the last one, which is to make sure you're praying in God's will and for God's will. If that's not the case, this stuff probably isn't really going to help you. And how do you do that? Well, you could literally pray for God's will to happen. That's what Jesus did in the garden, right? Not my will, but your will be done. That's a pretty good prayer. You don't really even have to have anything else. You could just pray that. Uh, Romans 12 talks about how to find out God's will. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are the things that will help you to discern what God's will is. And the closer you are to God's will, the better you know God's will, the more natural it will be to pray for things that are in his will. And the closer you are with him, those two things will align and your prayers will be more effective because you'll automatically be praying in his will. Which is a pretty exciting thought. What you want will be the same as what he wants anyway. And that's how you know then that your prayer life will be effective. So, back to our two big questions. Does God answer prayer? I think the answer is pretty obvious. It is sometimes. Um, not necessarily, but sometimes. That's what the Bible teaches. And maybe a better answer is, if he wants to, he will. Which isn't something that I just say casually or flippantly. God is sovereign. He's in control and he rules. And his ways and his thoughts are not our ways or our thoughts. There's no way that we can make him do what we want him to do. If you're praying for something and God's not intending to do that thing, he's not going to do it. But if you're praying for something that he wants to do anyway, then you can guarantee that it's going to be done. So lots of possible answers to the question, why does it not work for me? Basically, these things are a good place to start. But again, if you're not praying in God's will or for God's will to happen, this stuff doesn't really matter. Praying in God's will and for God's will supersedes all this stuff. So if you're looking for a guarantee to answer prayer, how can I be sure my prayer is going to be answered? Then just make your prayer really simple. Not my will, but your will be done. And then you're guaranteed to have it answered. So let's pray together. Lord, there is much that we could kind of hope or wish to be, to be uh, learned or uh, applied from um, a study like this. But God, I just pray that whatever you intend to do in the hearts of these people here and in my own heart, God, that you would work that out. Whether that's through um, looking back at uh, things that we've looked at this morning or conversation or, or whatever that may be, whether that's just your voice in their lives. God, I pray that you would, you would work that out to your glory. In Jesus' name.